elbow deep in somebody's thorax or whatever. It's Mystery Maniacs, the comedy recap podcast focused on mystery TV. Each episode, we dig into an episode of a show that we really like, where a lot of people get killed in funny ways, don't you think? Sarah doesn't have the script. That's what we do. (laughs) That's what we do. We do. The murders, the mayhem, the loonies. And everything else we love. This week. Season one, episode four of Murdoch Mysteries. Elementary, my dear Murdoch, which gets said in this episode, never said in the books. No. First time was said. Are you saying that Sherlock Holmes never says elementary, my dear Watson? Never. Does he say the game is afoot? Uh, I don't know about that. Hmm. But he never says it. It's a 1923 movie is the first time it appears. You did some research, didn't you? Oh, boy, did I do some research. (laughs) You're... You're overfilled with Sherlock Holmes facts right now. <laughs> Research, Mark. <laughs> this is a spoiler podcast. And if you let your kids read Sherlock Holmes stories, they can listen to the podcast. Yeah. And you should. Yeah. Before we dive in, a couple of announcements. One, Fiona Dolman, a.k.a. Sarah Barnaby. Posted. T- tweeted that they were doing script read-throughs. For Midsummer Murders season 24. So for those of you not familiar with Greenland or how television is made, what happens is they sit down all in a room together and read the script to each other. Mm-hmm. And then that's the kind of final stage in the reading. And we know that we know that they do this with the writers there because we talked to a writer of Midsummer yeah. and they told us how this went. And they make little tweaks and stuff yep. if they have to. So that is confirmation that there will be a season 24 of and, Midsummer Murders. And based on the research I did on season 23, that would mean that season 24 will be released on Acorn in December of 2023. If it follows the same timeline. If it follows the same timeline. And there isn't a global pandemic. Right. Or some <laughs> other delay. Yeah. So speaking of Midsummer, Annette Badland sent us a DM on Twitter. <laughs> Mark was squeeing like a little teenage girl and her favorite band comes to town. We may have actually had a conversation. <laughs> but what we can tell you about By the that way, conversation. She was like all over the news this week because it was the premiere of Ted Annette, Lasso. Annette Badland plays the coroner in Midsummer. And it's, she's in Ted Lasso also. Yes. She plays the bar, the bar landlady. She's the not soft-spoken, the opposite of soft-spoken. <laughs> the <you know>? outspoken. <laughs> the outspoken blonde lady. In You're both, married to me and you can't think of the in, word outspoken. In both shows, really. In both shows. Yeah. Anyway, well, we can tell you about that conversation right now. We got to keep some things on the down low. But right now we can tell you that she's advocating right now for a charity called Target Ovarian Cancer. And... Because March is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. And so what we're going to do, because this disease is horrific, over 7,400 women in the each year are diagnosed in the UK, with over 19,000 women receiving the diagnosis in the US, and over 3,000 women in Canada. This yeah. affects us all. Yeah, it affects a lot of people. So for January to May of 2023, i.e., Two months ago to two months from now. Yes. All of the proceeds from our merch store on Spreadshirt will be going to target ovarian cancer. Now, if that that is a UK charity, mm-hmm. and if you choose to not buy our merch because you want to support locally, good on you. Support locally. Go for it. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. But- Research is research and cures are cures. Yeah. Um, It is insane that over 13,000 women in the U.S. die of it a year. Yeah. So. It's because it's silent. Yeah. And it's. You don't know that you have it until sometimes it's too late. Yep. Speaking of merch, yes. we have a new design in the store. It is yes. Bracken Reed and Bra- all of his favorite sayings. Uh, Sarah did an image of Bracken Reed, and you should go get it on a bunch of merch, and that money will go to Target Ovarian Cancer. It's on shirts. It's on aprons. It's on mugs. It's on it's tote bags. It's on everything. Yes. And if there is a merch, if there is a design, like a, a T-shirt format, whatever, that I didn't put it on that you want, 
just let us know. It takes me two clicks to add it to a hoodie or whatever. If yep. I didn't, um, I'm always happy to make those changes. And we'll put that link again in the show notes. Yes. Are you ready for elementary, my dear Murdoch? I, I would I would go as far as to say is this even more than last week is the prototypical future Murdoch episode. Yes. It's quirky. It's funny. It's got Bracken Reed being quirky and funny. It's and got, it, it's got um, real, real people. Yep. Tied into the story. So it's got a little bit of history tie in there, which is always fun. Sometimes they're anachronistic. Sometimes they're not. Yep. I could not find any problems with Doyle's portrayal in this. The timeline for Doyle's yep. life. The timeline all fits. Good. Maybe he wasn't exactly in Canada on that day, but he was around Canada. Yeah. He's a whole Canada thing. Yeah, he did. I did not realize that. He had a being out in the woods thing, didn't he? Like the. He was a ship's doctor from the Arctic to Africa. Yeah. Okay. He was an adventurer. Right. Absolutely. And he, he liked wilderness. He said, the mighty voice of Canada will ever call to me. That's from a poem he wrote called the Athabasca Trail. You pronounced that very well. Good job. Uh, The Athabasca area or trail is named after Lake Athabasca, which is a Cree (laughs) word of where there are plants one after another. It's located in the corner of Alberta and Saskatchewan. I'm going to take your notes away. Yep. (laughs) So we started at the Duke Hotel. Murdoch is meeting Doyle there. There are a lot of hotels in the first couple episodes. There Did are. you notice that? Yeah. There's a lot of hotels. It's a big city. People yeah. hang out at hotels. They have an engagement. Yes. And Murdoch abandons his bicycle. Just abandons his bicycle. And I'm watching the credits and Googling already. <laughs> so Murdoch drives his bike up there, leaves it on like the side of the The sidewalk, street. basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and just gets in a carriage with... Doyle. Yeah. And across the bottom of the screen, it says Maria Del Mar. And I'm like, Maria Del Mar? Which one? I asked. Oh. Because well, she's are- the actress who plays Sarah Pencil, the psychic in this episode. She's also, at, at first I was like, is there one Maria Del Mar? Because the Maria Del Mar that I was familiar with is not this actress. Oh. And I was like, who's the other is one? Is it the same person? No, it can't be the same person. Because Maria Del Mar that I'm f- familiar with is uh, a very tall Amazon-like woman. How do I know this? Ask me how I know she's very tall in Amazon. How do you know that? She picked me up. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maria Del Mar is also the name of a singer from a band called National Velvet in Canada. Okay. And uh, she picked you up? She was a very... Very Amazon-like woman, and after a show in Waterloo, she came into the newspaper office looking for drinks, Mm -hmm. she said, and I said, we have no drinks at all, and she picked me up and shook me. (laughs) (laughs) I would pay so much money to see that happen. Now, you have to understand, this was a rock goth band I've from Toronto. I've known you for a long time, and you've never mentioned that a woman once picked you up and shook you. <laughs> rock band from Toronto called National Velvet, in which hits included Flesh Under Skin and Sex Gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a sex gorilla shook you. Oh, uh, wow. Give the yeah. woman a drink. So What's she going like, to do next? Is she related to her? No, because no. they're very different people. I hope so. But I tell you what, on both of their pages, it at the very start, it's like, not the actress Maria Del Mar, <laughs> not the, uh, the singer. singer Maria Del Mar. They're about 20 years apart, but... <laughs> Not the woman who shook Mark Bell no, once. No, but I was like, Maria Del Mar? I didn't know her that's, name. That's because you were traumatized. <laughs> you see her name and you're like, oh, does she know where I am? Is she going to come shake me again? Okay. So Doyle, Doyle knows who Murdoch is. Because of the Cabbage Town murders, a case that we never hear again. No. No, no, we hear about it again. But we never find out what it was. we never find out by what but it was. I think it's when people swap people's heads for cabbages. No, no. Like a serial killer cabbage, that swapped cabbage heads town for cabbages. Cabbage Town is a neighborhood in Toronto where I actually used to live. Or so. a killer who made things smell like cabbage. <laughs> they would have just called them the stinky murders if that happened. So they have one of their 
Montage. transitions here yes and the wall poster gets weirder i know the posters outside the police station for the photographs free rent whatever we start to see little if you keep you keep watching for them you see new bits of detail of them and the war pictures poster now says belgian war pictures yes I do not know what that means. No. The closest instances that I could figure out, because I read the entire page on the Belgian military, (laughs) are two possibilities, which will surprise the crap out of you. Okay. The first one is in 1864, where the Belgian Extraordinary Force was raised in service in Mexico. Wait a minute. The Belgian army went to Mexico? Yes. <laughs> Surely there were armies Fif- close survived. 1,500 strong uh, <laughs> under the Empress Charlotte to fight for the Imperial forces. Okay, but in my head, the entire Belgian army is just Poirot over and over again. <laughs> so they spent, In Mexico. <laughs> they sent 1,500 Poirots to Mexico to fight in their little shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the second possibility. You cannot take all of the mustache wax. And more likely <laughs> is the Belgian Congo is really beginning at this yes, point in time. I think it's much more likely the Congo. And the conflict at that point in time was called the Congo Arab War, which was fought in the Central African region between between the forces of King Leopold II, who is the current king at this time of Congo. Mm, yeah. And the Congo Free State forces, including the Zanzibari Arab slave traders led by Saf bin Hamid, Tupi Tip's son. Oh. So either it's Poirot in Mexico, may I have a burrito? <laughs> I still think it's over mustache wax. <laughs> or. Global control of mustache wax. It's a fight over slave trading. Hmm. I don't understand. Either way, why do people I want photos? Do not in understand Toronto. that sign. I do not. Off to the spiritualist house. Yes. So they have an appointment, but Doyle is double booked. Yep. He's also going to a seance. That's what he's double booked with. And he takes Murdoch with him. Yeah. 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 And see, he knew exactly what he's doing. Yeah. It wasn't an oops, I'm double booked. No. It's I'm kidnapping you to take you to a seance. Yes. Which just makes Murdoch so uncomfortable the whole time. And we get to meet Sarah Pencil, who is a recurring character. Certainly in first season, maybe second season. And her name is not Pencil, P-N-C-I-L. No, it's P N S E L L. Yes, Pencil. She's she's not a writing instrument. No, she's that would not. be much funnier if that was it her name. Be, it would be. And Conrad Hunts. Yes. Who wants to talk to his son who died. Who died. But we never find out how how his son died. No, but he must have been old enough to have serious conversations. Yes. Because later when he thinks he's talking to his son, I'm thinking, did his son die when he was a toddler? Because that's a weird conversation if he's a toddler. Yeah, rivers of blood. Or like a little kid. Rivers of blood, daddy. Like, And so Pencil (laughs) does her psychic mumbo jumbo. Right? Yeah. And says there's a girl murdered at this location, 20 paces away from the road. Under lo- a water tower. I love how smarmy uh, and passive aggressive Murdoch is it's here. Like, are you satisfied now? He's so totally Canadian. <laughs> okay, so one question I have before we go forward is everybody refers to Doyle as Mr. Arthur Conan Doyle. Is he not sir yet? He is not sir. Okay. He received his knighthood. Because in my head, he's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's like all one big word, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. No, he Not did, Mr. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He did not receive his knighthood until 1902. Oh, okay. And it had more to do with the political writings he had done at that point. Okay. Because during this period off from Sherlock, he wrote kind of other stuff. That didn't do so well. That didn't do so well. <laughs> Okay. Now, the other thing about his name, what is his name? Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay. Sir, his name is Dr. Arthur Conan Doyle. What is Conan? I I assumed it was a double barrel last name. No, it's not his last name. He originally, his, his name is Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle. Conan is his godparent's last name that just got added to his name. So it's a double barrel last name, but no, but the first part is from his always name. referred to as Mr. Doyle. Oh, okay. But everybody says Conan, not Conan. Yeah. That, that's, 
that's a whole different writer guy uh-huh. with strange stuff happening. No, that's Tarzan, not Conan. I was thinking Conan the Barbarian. Conan's the Barbarian. Tarzan's the guy in the right. bushes. Yeah. So Conan doesn't go, oh, that's Tarzan. <laughs> no, no. Never mind. Anyway, so they go to Pencil's house to have their seance. Yes. Right? Because she wants to connect uh, Hunt with his son. But there's a cross of the wires to the afterlife. Yeah, and who comes through is this? Is someone saying that a girl is dead? Yes. Right? Later Some, we find out who it is. Yeah. Now, what happens at the seance? We get breezes in the windows. Yes. The table rocks. Thumpity, thumpity, thump. Thumpity, thumpity, thump. Thump. And that's how we know there's a spirit in the room. Yes. And she goes all... She doesn't really. No, she doesn't. She, she does a very subdued psychic. Yeah, she's very subtle. Yeah, I like the character. I like the actress. She didn't pick me up. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Maria Del Mar who's never shaken you. (laughs) So I went, I went looking for other things that spiritualists did to be convincing. Mm -hmm. And of course there's a ton. What, what do you think of when you think of like the, the things that spiritualists did at the seance? There's eyes roll back in your head. There's knocks on the table. There's strange sounds. There's furniture moving. There's like lights and candles going in on and off. Mm-hmm. All of those things. There were other things. The Fox sisters, who most people probably have heard of, they sort of started spiritualism. Yep. They were from Belleville. Belleville, Ontario. Ontario. But they became famous once they moved to New York. Hey, Ken. Appa- Our friend in Belleville. Yeah. Apparently, they cracked their toes and yeah. did it loud enough that people thought it was somebody knocking on the walls. Like, Wow. How do you crack your toes that loud? I, I could not crack my toes that loud. I can barely do that <laughs> loud enough. Another thing that spiritualists did was they wrote on slates, on little yeah. chalkboards. Total spiritual writing thing. Yeah. So Automatic but, writing. So. No, 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 no. They would like put a blank slate behind their back and pull it back out and there would be writing on it. Oh, okay. Right? And they would claim the spirit wrote on it. Mm. But what they really did was they had a piece of cardboard that was the same color as the chalkboard that slid into the frame. Uh. So they would basically add that and whip it back out and go, look, there are words. There was one guy who wrote on slates with his toes under the table. Wow, that's impressive. So he would put a blank, he would say, oh, here's this blank slate. I'm going to put it in my lap. I'm holding hands, so you know I'm not doing anything. He let it slide down his legs onto the floor. He had a piece of chalk between his toes. He'd slide his foot out of his shoe, right on it with his foot, and then work it back up his legs without his hands. That's impressive. Back into his lap. That, that is impressive. I'm impressed by that. They also had, of course, contraptions that could do things like ring bells. Yep. Or, you know, make some kind of other noise. They had a lot of fishing line going on. They also, I didn't know this one. There were spiritualists who claimed that their connection with the afterlife made them impervious to harm when they were in connection. Yes. And so they would do things like hold hot coals in their hand or put their hand in a flame and they would coat their hands with this special concoction of chemicals that would prevent them from being burned. That's nuts. My favorite though is ectoplasm. Oh, so ectoplasm, a a favorite of spirit photography. Yes. But they would like throw up cotton. Yeah. They would put a bunch of muslin in the back of their throat and then fish it out. Yep. And And call it ectoplasm. I call it barf. And then people would photograph photograph it. Yeah. So we also had to be very like, like the show here. They walk a very fine line. And most of the people involved in spiritualism from the 1850s to the pre-World War II are all fakes and charlatans. Yes. Okay. The vast majority. Yes. I would say that majority is 100%. Because it starts with the Civil War. Starts with Civil War and Crimean War. Right. People wanting to reconnect with lost loved ones and people taking advantage of that. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And you get, with that, you get new technology crossing that. And so you get photography. Speaking of new technology, Murdoch's got a murder bag. He does. (laughs) Get my murder bag. (laughs) And that's not even his floodlight box. Murdoch has a brand new murder bag. <laughs> that like, may be the name of the episode. Like, what's in your murder bag? Poppy's got a brand new murder bag. 
<laughs> He's also got his daylight in a box, which is some kind of yeah, battery-operated floodlight. Yeah, because that that flashlight that Doyle brings when they're looking for the body is for crap. Yeah, it is for crap, but it's really period-specific. Yeah, it, but it's, it's really bad. Yeah, it is. It is. So, so they find a they find a hand and a body. Yes, and then Julia shows up in a tiara. Yeah, <laughs> Julia was obviously somewhere else. She Some, says. She says she was at like some kind of comedy that was show horrible. That was horrible. And this is this is something that we'll see later on in this season is Murdoch's science and murder saving Julia from horrible parts of society. Yeah, upper society, like high society. I'm guessing Julia wasn't alone at this shindig. Yeah. So he saved her from well, the murder saved her from a bad date. Yeah, right? I think so. For the station house to know where she is, she must tell them, I have an engagement this evening. Here's where I'll be. Well, she would have told- Come and get me. She would have told her help, and they probably called her house, and the help And told, the maid said, she's at the bad comedy yeah, show. Yeah. And so they went to the so bad comedy Crab show. So Tree ran over to the bad comedy- Well, they probably send the other guy. They, they send some uniform over yeah. there, right? Yeah. Who then has to like, what, walk through the audience looking for Julia? Who's like, I'm over here. Yeah. Or do they like stop the show and say, we need Dr. Julia Ogden? I would assume that in an intermission it happened. Because <laughs> you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to break the show. That's disappointing because I was thinking that she would have to like tell the desk sergeant that she was going to be away. And then that means that the desk sergeant has a list of all of her bad dates. No, that's true. So we could refer back to the list of bad dates that Julia had been on oh. that were interrupted by somebody she dying. An, she's been on some bad dates. I have a feeling she's out on dates quite a bit. Yeah, I think She's so. got a nice tiara for the occasion and pretty earrings. She looks nice. She recognizes Doyle right away. Everybody does. Yep, As instantly. soon as they hear his name and see his face, they yep. know who he is. He's very famous, and that's totally... What, like, Doyle was on literary tour in Canada at this time. Yeah. Like, he was a known person. And then they start talking about bullets. Yes, with Lascaigne. Who, in my notes, is lasagna. No, <laughs> his name is not Because I misspelled it. I, I was just looking at my notes going, why did I write down lasagna? <laughs> No, it is. La Cassagne. Yes. L-A-C-A-S-S-A-G-N-E. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And So it's La Cassagne. Yeah. <laughs> His like, name is like not. It's like lactose-free lasagna. Is Alexandra Lasagna. Is he Italian? No. Where's In he fact... He was vehemently against the Italian school of thought in his area. Is he French? He is a Francaise. Oh, okay. Born, based in Lyon, and his main rival was Lombroso's Italian school of thought on mostly on the prison and justice system. He does a little bit on bullets, a little bit, but mostly he is concerned with what justice is and how prisoners are treated. Mm. He is a prison reformer. Ah, with who quotes, also looks at bullets. Yeah, w with comments like, every society gets the criminals they deserve and create. Wow, that's on the nose, isn't it? He really saw, well, at this point, I'm not blaming him. Come to America, he, lasagna. He saw the problems. <laughs> he saw the problems of what prison, of what, prison was causing yeah. to people who went to prison for minor offenses and came out hardened criminals. So the body belongs to Ida Winston. Yes. And they know that because she's got cards in her bag. Yes. Or in her pocket. Yes. Calling cards. Calling cards. Which are like business cards for just a person. Yes. <laughs> Which you would present at the door. Yeah. To prove who you are. Yep. I think I would have had bunch of them printed up in all kinds of different names just for fun because <laughs> they're official you know i'm mida binston <laughs> yeah. they call me lasagna uh she's, i'm mr pen is miss pencil here no. <laughs> yeah i'm maria del mar <laughs> no don't pick me up <laughs> so 
Ida was a member of the Toronto Paranormal Society. Now, the Toronto Paranormal Society exists now, but was founded in 2010. Yes. (laughs) There was not an organization of that name at this time in Toronto as near as I could find. And it would not surprise me if they were Murdoch fans. You think? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Because he's pretty down on the psychics. He doesn't really buy into it. But that's not to say that Toronto wasn't a hotbed of spiritualism at the time. It was. It certainly was. But I couldn't couldn't find a group named exactly that. But Ida was a member of it. And they're basing this on, I mean, there there were like a dozen of those societies in London that were dedicated to either proving or disproving some kind of paranormal phenomenon. And they all show up in Hellboy comics later on. (laughs) Yes. They do. (laughs) I know. They're either trying to gather evidence to prove that it is or isn't real, debunking charlatans. Yeah. But the the threat I found through most of them is they wanted it to be true, but they didn't want the fakers to mess that up. Yeah. Right. So so they're like Doyle. They're looking for the evidence of it being real and trying to clear out fakers. Yep. Like Houdini. Yep. Right. Doyle and Houdini were friends. Yes. That yeah. is so weird. They would, they would have been a weird they, pair. That is so weird because one is clearly Victorian mm-hmm. and one is clearly Gilded Age America. So when I was looking for the Toronto Paranormal Society, what I found instead was the Journal for Psychical Research from January 1888. Ooh, okay. And an interesting story that I have to tell you. Okay. Does it involve the ghost lifting somebody? No, no, there's no ghost shaking people. No, I was looking into trying to find a group of people who kind of did what they were doing. Yep. And I found them. But the, the way that I found them was through a story about them kicking a fake psychic out of Belleville, Ontario. Oh, excellent. Okay. okay. This is Canadian and fake psychics. Oh, I'm yeah. In. Oh, I'm yeah. In. So, so here's the story, okay? I'm just going to read this little paragraph for you. This is from the Journal for Psychical Research in January 1888. In 1883, according to the Belleville Intelligencer, Dr. Henry Slade was exposed in a most complete manner. And the mark of his guilt in the shape of a prepared slate, the chalkboard, was retained by his exposers. He then confessed his crime, subsequently pleading, however, that the, quote, gentleman had made him drunk. On being allowed to leave town and having made good his escape, he circulated a report that the exposure had not taken place with the genuine Dr. Slade, but with someone falsely bearing his name. The sheriff physically escorted him to the edge of town. Wow. Get out of my town. With a whole bunch of psychical researchers going, yeah, faker, we got your chalkboard. And totally played the, it wasn't me card. The next paragraph is like, we don't even think he's really a doctor. (laughs) Really? Really? (laughs) You think so? Yeah. He was playing that uh, slate trick. He's the guy who could write with his toes. Oh, Dr. Henry Slade. Doctor. Henry Slade. You have to say it sarcastically because it's Uh not real. Yeah, they escorted him right out of Belleville, which if you don't know Belleville, it's not a big place. No. (laughs) Okay, it's a small town, right? On the outskirts, I mean, it's on the outskirts of, is it even near Ottawa? It's between Kingston and Toronto. Yes. So this is a little place. Yep. And they ran him out of town. (laughs) Ran him out of town. We'll post a link to this. This journal it is very interesting to read I'm sure it because is. it also includes correspondence from the members of the Psychical Research Society. Oh, excellent, excellent. On things that they have observed lately in their own investigations. Oh, very it's good. Fascinating. <laughs> okay, so I think it's totally logical that Murdoch thinks that Pencil was involved. She knows where the body is. If if she's not actually psychic, she must have some insider information, so she may be connected. And I don't plus, blame him at all for he, thinking that he she's does, fishy. He does the threat, the killer will be found, and then creepy guy is creepy behind him. <laughs> so the creepy guy is Liz Gargall. Or as I like to call him, Cletus the Slackjawed Psychic. <laughs> you can call him that. But he's not a psychic. No, he's not a psychic. He's her lackey. He's her, Cletus the Slackjawed lackey. Lackey. Yeah. But his name is Liz Gargall. I mean, that's bad <laughs> that's enough without bad giving enough. him a nickname. Yeah. Lizgar. Lizgar. 
Do you know where Lizgar comes from? Because no, I needed to know. I do not know where Lizgar comes from. I don't either. But I can tell you there was Lizgar Collegiate Institute, which is the oldest high school in Ottawa. Yes. And there's a riding, which is okay, like a province. I know where that high you know school where that, is. Okay. There's a riding, which is like a province in, in Man- <laughs> like a, a city in Manitoba called Lizgar. And the second governor general of Canada was the first baron of Lizgar. That's probably where the high school got its name from. Well, this kid is not related to him. No. In, in no Lizgar Gall is not the second baron of Lizgar. No. He's, you're right. He's slack-jawed. He's a lackey. And he does the dirty work. He right? does the dirty work. Which is going around, sneaking around, getting information. Yep. Which is, again, it was another thing that these the fake psychics did was they would interview people who know you when they knew you were coming for a seance. In the vernacular, that's called a hot reading. Yes. They would gather information about you, feed it to the psychic so they could feed it back to you. Yeah. Did you notice when we go back to the police station here, there is a fancy old man who leaves. The sort of Mark Twain looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, thanks. And he stomps out in his white suit. Yep. He Never won. to be seen again. Whenever I see somebody like that, I think somebody won a contest. Yep. To be to be a Murdoch extra. And that's his little scene. Now, in this scene, somebody on one of the social channels that we're involved in mentioned to me that Murdoch has ginger sideburns. And boy, can you see them yeah. in, this, in this scene. I noticed that too. And I wonder if they're fake. Yeah. Like, if he cut his hair and they had to like glue on sideburns or something or it's the light i don't know a lot of guys have facial hair that's a different color than the hair on their head right so if you grow your sideburns yep. long enough they sort of become facial hair rather than i guess the maybe. hair it's on the side very of your head. weird i hadn't noticed it before and now i can't stop seeing it <laughs> but i have the aiken murder well forget about that like every other case that i don't care about right <laughs> They end up in in the mortuary or uh, in the morgue with Julia. Yep. And she's she's doing the autopsy on Ida, and she just shoves her hand right into like right into like she uses the 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 forcep clips to like spread spread her flab open. You could say that she's shackled by her own body, (laughs) and then she just like shoves her hand in there. Well, while Conan Doyle has a little soliloquy about how much he hates Sherlock Holmes. And how he wasn't a very good doctor. And Crabtree's like, in the background. He is not, it's not that Doyle was a bad doctor. He is a victim of circumstance. He had a practice in Plymouth with a doctor that's very much like Dr. Watson. Mm -hmm. And they were so, they had so few patients. That's when he started writing. Yeah. To fill the time and make some money, right? He also went into the area of eye surgery and eye, like that's what he became a specialist in. And there just wasn't enough interest in it. Mm. And people didn't come to him. So he just couldn't make enough money as a doctor. Just couldn't make enough money. as. And then suddenly he, Sherlock Holmes comes out, the the first novel comes out and kabango right away. It's so he goes with it. Yep. It's just so foreign to us to think of somebody with a medical degree not able to make money. It is very strange. You'd have to be a pretty bad doctor nowadays. Yeah. There just wouldn't be, I didn't have enough patience. Yeah. Like that just wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. We meet Mr. Winston. Yes. Who doesn't even come to identify the body. How do you act suspicious? By being suspicious. <laughs> He's poncy. He's very poncy. He's snobby. He's mean, Mm -hmm. and he's not sad. No, not at all. He's like, I can't talk to you about who killed my wife because you should be solving the murder of who killed my wife. Now I've got to make tea for all these people. Well, it's because he knew about the affair with Frederick Waters, but we don't know about the affair. No, no, but he's also a doctor. Yes. So he's totally affronted by Doyle. Yes. You know, you're just horrible. Fools who pretend to speak to the dead. Frederick Waters, speaking of which, is the head of the Paranormal Society. Yes. Has a horrible fake mustache that looks like it's trying to attack his face. Horrible fake mustache. It looks like your mustache when you wake up in the morning and it needs to be cut. It's just just like splattered on his face. It's not brushed down. It's like going every direction on either side of his nose. The, The offices of the Paranormal Society are very nice. Yes. How can they afford that? I don't they know. They can't make any they money. They must have lots of dues. <laughs> They're all paying dues I for guess. expensive rugs and woodwork. I guess. <laughs> 
Their door is very pretty, too. I'll tell you what's not pretty is the picture of the queen. <laughs> wow. Bracken Reed's just whacking flies on the queen. And he's not cleaning them up. She's covered in dead flies. It's gross. She has at least five dead flies on her. We got a picture of it. We can prove it. There's carcasses all over Queen Victoria. Why do you come to mystery maniacs, people? <laughs> to count the dead flies on Queen Victoria? No, to tell you exactly what photo of Queen Victoria that is. Oh. That is a portrait of Queen Victoria uh, wearing her small imperial crown to mark her 66th birthday. It was painted in 1885. It is not anachronistic. But didn't they just celebrate her birthday? No. Okay. This is the 66th birthday in 86. They they celebrate her birthday every year. Yeah. So. How old was she in the last episode with the fireworks? She would have been 10 years later. So 76. Wait a minute. Are you telling me 10 years is between the last episode and this one? No. <laughs> I'm confused. It's 10 years between when that painting was painted. Oh, and okay. And this episode. Rah! I was like. Wait a minute, if that was painted last week, how does he have it already? <laughs> it, was, it was painted in 1885, not 95. 1895. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Took me a while to catch up there. It's also a photograph. I was like, how is that not anachronistic? They went back in time. It's a photograph <laughs> that is painted on. Yeah. Like colored. Yeah, yeah. they did that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my brain is all <laughs> twisted up now. So they go back to see Mrs. Pencil. Yes. Miss Pencil. Who, who changes her dress and her earrings every single scene. Pretty much. Yep. And she's always overdressed. Yes. For being at home. <laughs> I don't care if she's got company. Well, she's performing. Maria Del Mar, the actress. Yes. <laughs> not the Amazon. Is a beautiful woman. Yes. She's well put together. Yep. Aging well. Yes. And yet, for some reason... They taped her temples. They taped her temples. It looks like she had bad plastic surgery. Her eyes are real tight. Yeah. But it's not. It's tape. I've got a picture of it. I can prove it. She appears again, and we are got we got to look for the tape and the ginger sideburns. Yeah, because maybe it's the makeup artist who did those, did the same episodes. Yep. Makes bad but choices. This is, this is not the regular dead person. This is Liza. Right. This, this is, is Murdoch's dead fiance. And this is where he finds the string and follows it to find the slack jawed yoga. <laughs> Liz Gar in the closet. Yes. Sitting there like, what? Yeah, hang out in the closet. What? Poor guy. When he's not snooping on people, he's fixing window screens. I mean, he really can't win. And he kind of was like, uh, uh, yeah, I saw a murder, but I can't really tell anybody because uh, it will. I want to get of, fired out of a job. Yeah, <laughs> like wait a minute, that's really important. <laughs> but Miss Pencil is very. This is a long line and a character trope of women in Murdoch episodes who are business savvy and businesses that are questionable. Mm -hmm. We meet a madam later on like this. So behind the paranormal society is where Murdoch and Doyle talk about Liza and that she is, uh, died of consumption. Mm -hmm. Because that's where Liz Gargall saw somebody carry a, a carpet wrapped around At the body. At this exact moment, Doyle's wife is, has has consumption TB. in reality so it gets super interesting with his wife and we'll get into it more on the next conan doyle episode there's a little spoiler for you mm. but she was sick for a long time mm. and it was very hard on him well a lot of people when they had tuberculosis suffered yeah. for a long long time yeah like it was one of those things where you either dropped dead or you lingered for years yeah. and wound up going to live at a spa or something if you had the money. And <laughs> Murdoch totally does a great bad cop here where he goes, oh, somebody inside's in distress. I have a skeleton key for the entire city here. Yes, of course he does. And Doyle's like, I don't hear any. Oh, I get it. Okay, let's go. And then they do slow-mo bullet. They do, they do bullet time bullet. Yes. It's just like the Murdoch Matrix. Yes. And I'm like, everything you find in here is completely illegal. Yes. <laughs> Would that have been the case then? Uh, I don't know about then, but. I mean, the way Bracken Reed interrogates people, I think they probably are able <laughs> to get away with some stuff. So bullet time bookcase finds a bullet in the book. Do you know what book it is? No, I do not know what book it is. It is An Enemy of the People by Henrik Ibsen. 
Oh my gosh, one of my favorite plays of all time. Your favorite play is about a people covering up bad water? Yes. I love that play. Why? I read almost all of Ibsen's plays in college. Okay, so this play is about a guy who discovers that the the water in a spa town like Bath, yeah. right, is tainted and He's wants actually making people sick. And wants to expose that. He's a doctor. But his in-laws have too much money invested in it and don't yes. want him to tell anybody. And that's yeah. your favorite play? It is. It is the... He's like Aaron Brockovich of the 1880s, the, and that's your favorite play? It is the unsolvable moral quagmire that is in every Ibsen story. That doesn't sound very riveting to me. Yeah, I love that. I love that play. Well, it gets shot. Yes. <laughs> the bullet wedges right into it on page 143 yeah. or whatever it is. And then late one night, Murdoch's in the lab. Mm-hmm. Did you notice it was totally Murdoch in the lab at night? Yes. <laughs> He's totally like got Bunsen burners and stuff like that. But he has a big sad. Yeah. He re- He's thinking about Liza and her horse. And kissy kissy. And Why did he give her a horse necklace? I don't know. Maybe she was into horses. It seems like an uncomfortable necklace. So Like he- it would poke you. A lot. Yeah. It had little pokey legs. He rushes over to Miss Pencil's house, who is up. She's a psychic. She knew he was coming. Knew he was coming, I guess. <laughs> she had time to put her dress and back on. And they have a close-up, and they talk to Liza. In her red dress. It's a very touching scene. Yeah, okay. If you want to call it touching, I call it, you're going to ruin that dress rolling around in the grass. Well, yeah. Isn't that kind of public? Isn't he really Catholic and conservative? Aren't you guys married now because she's sitting on top of you in public? I think so. Didn't she just poke you in the eye with her necklace? (laughs) (laughs) Well, going to Miss Pencil's house means he's married to her now. (laughs) I think you're more sentimental than I am. (laughs) I guess. But then he's in the lab working on his telephonic probe. Yeah. Here, Julia, here's a electric thing that I've given you to enjoy yourself. Do you know what it is? I have no idea what it is okay, because so- I knew you were going to research this. <laughs> so I didn't research this at all. So what he has made is basically a metal detector. Yes. Right. So that, but it's a metal detector you can stick in somebody oh. to find the bullet. Yes. Right. Because... Of President Garfield. Yes, and that's mentioned. You, If you've never heard of President Garfield, you should feel sorry for him. You don't need to know any of the details, but, uh, the, I'm, but I'm going to tell I you. I know, speaking of people who lingered, I know he, got, he lingered after being shot. Oh, man, did he linger. He is the lingerer of lingerers. <laughs> he was shot twice, okay? Yeah. They retrieved one bullet. The other one was lodged very near his spine, but they didn't know that. Because they couldn't find it, okay? So he gets shot. They take him back to the White House, put him on a bed, and then various doctors come in and stick their dirty, unwashed fingers in him, digging around for a bullet. How on earth did he not survive? He was in shock for a long time. I can imagine. Then Alexander Graham Bell shows up and says... Hey, I got this machine, and it can find the bullet. Wait, is this a future Murdoch episode? It should You'll be. You'll have to wait and see. He's got this machine that can find the bullet. It's basically an early metal detector, right? Yeah. But it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because Garfield's on a metal bed. Oh, jeez. So it just keeps going off and going off and going off, right? He's lingering. He's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And these are like lead bullets. So lead is seeping into his body. And dirty doctor hands. Dirty doctor hands. And whatever flies junk floating around. Because they never sewed the wound up because they're trying to poke in it with various things. Meanwhile, the only painkiller he would have had would have basically been liquor. Yep. Okay. Eventually, he can't even eat anymore. I can imagine. So he survives the last two weeks on what they call nutritional enemas. Okay. They're feeding him through the other end. I don't need those words ever used. I know. How long do you think he lived between when he was shot and when he died? Six weeks. 79 days. Oh my gosh. Almost three months. Yeah. Oh, what a horrible existence. I mean, if what Murdoch has invented would have found the bullet faster, it's a worthwhile invention. And I love how schoolboy he is. I made you something. Here, I'm, I made you. It's a, it's a probe. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And, and she's really good at being like, oh, thank you. Julia does exactly what every mom has ever done when presented with, <laughs> I drew you a picture. Yeah. Oh, that's nice, William. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's very nice. Set it down. Forget about it. Anyway. Yeah, I don't think we ever see the telephonic probe again. I don't think so either. No. Oh, Garfield. Oh, so bad. That's just, oh. So bad. And here we have Bracken Reed and Crabtree in the comedic role of let's provide the details of Hound of Baskerville. <laughs> yeah, so everybody who meets Doyle is a big fan of Doyle. Nobody meets him and goes, ah, Sherlock Holmes is stupid. No. Everybody's like, oh, you're that Doyle. Yep. Including Bracken Reed. I've read every story. I have an idea for your next one. Doyle's like, I killed him. I was tired of him. He's dead. Yeah, and they're all like, okay, in the next story. Yeah, but you're <laughs> going to bring him back, right? Because here, here I got a story for you. And Bracken Reed's pitching Hound of the Baskervilles, right? Which is the next story that he writes. Yep. But it takes place before Sherlock Holmes died, right? Yes. So it's out of out of time. The explanation of the Rickenbach Fall story, which is the final solution, is done as a short story that's released after Hound of Baskervilles. Yes. So Bracken Reed is pitching the Hound of the Baskervilles. And I'm just thinking, well, first of all, Crabtree should be a much bigger fan yes. than they let him be. Yeah. Right. Because Crabtree go, goes on to write adventure mystery novels. Yep. So he's he's got to be a bigger fan. Yeah. I think there should be more of that in this episode. Oh, I do too. Like, I, I think the two of them should be in cahoots trying to convince Doyle to bring Sherlock Holmes back. To, like, like provide solutions to Rickenbach Falls? Like, he doesn't have to be dead. I know he fell, but you could bring him back, you right? Could, they, could, they could be like, here's a puppet show. <laughs> show we'll me. demonstrate. This is how. Okay, so here's where Sherlock Holmes secretly puts on a parachute, okay? So when he goes over the falls, he floats down gently and lands on this pre-inflated rubber dinghy. Bounces off of it, back onto the cliff, runs away. No, we 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 need a scene where Murdoch is like the details are on my chalkboard. He goes into his and Crabtree and Crabtree have taken over his chalkboard. chalkboard (laughs) Diagrams of the falls, complicated calculations, fall trajectories. Nope. Parachute bouncing. I've got it. It's Station Four Theater Night. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so they do a reenactment where, of course, Bracken Reed is Sherlock Holmes and gets to fall down the stairs of the station house and survive. <laughs> and Henry is Henry is Moriarty. And <laughs> and Crabtree in the dress from the pig episode. Yes. Place like Dr. Ogden who saves Saves the day. Right. Yeah. That would work. They could have convinced him. They didn't try. No. That's a whole other episode in our I want to see that chalkboard. That would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand carriage tracks as evidence. No. Like there's there's one rut and there's two ruts. But the two ruts are not double. But they're slightly different. They're not double wheels. It's, it's totally it's totally car tires and treads and all that. Yeah, but that wouldn't work, right? Because no. wouldn't a heavier carriage make a, the same carriage heavier, like with more people in it, Yeah, make a slightly different rut than that so. carriage lighter? I would think so. Or the mud is yeah. different? I don't, think it, I don't think it would work. There's something on Murdoch's desk in that scene, too, that I don't understand. Oh, I When do. he's got the plaster casts yeah. of the, the treads, yeah. over to the side is something that looks like a mezzaluna. Oh, I Do you know what a mezzaluna I, is? No. What's a mezzaluna? When you're chopping herbs... Sometimes people use a mezzaluna. It's a blade that's uh, shaped like a oh, half yeah. circle and you rock it back and forth. It might be like a pistol, uh, mortar and pistol thing. No. That's scientific. That's key. pestle. Okay. Mortar and pestle. Mortar and pestle. It's not mortar and pistol. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks you like know a, there's a French guy with bullets. Lasagna. It looks like a mezzaluna. I don't I don't know no. why. What it's Maybe he, I don't know, chops up bullets with it. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So we know that Waters is having an affair with Ida. Yep. We know that golf and he goes, found out. And he, Waters goes to the, is supposed to be at the spiritualism talk. Yes. And Julie is there and Brackenreed is there. <laughs> Brackenreed's like, unfortunately, I couldn't get a ticket. Oh, here's a ticket. Oh, oh. thanks. <laughs> Yay. He, he's not the best speaker. 
He's not a good speaker, and Bracken Reed is not a good audience member. I love when Julia like slaps him awake, like (laughs) nudges him awake. But I think I would have fallen asleep too. I mean, he's just if you showed up for Doyle speaking, wouldn't you be like, Sherlock, Sherlock? (laughs) You know, like I would think that people be like, Yeah, yeah, whatever, ghosties, whatever. Sherlock, Sherlock, you know. (laughs) But does anybody have any questions for Dr. Doyle? About spiritualism. Oh, I have a question. Could Sherlock have had on a parachute <laughs> when he went over the falls? Here's a chalkboard. <laughs> I've brought a diagram. I think he might have survived. Oh, no, I know. And well, where is Mar- I know what they could have done. They could have they could have had a seance and pretended that Sherlock Holmes spoke to Doyle from beyond Elementary, the dead. And said, dear Doyle. Bring me back. <laughs> Bring I'm not dead. Back. He was not a real person. Oh. You can still bring him back. Still bring him back. Where is Murdoch? Murdoch is discovering the body of Waters. Yes, who has shot himself with the wrong hand at his desk. And and then Murdoch shoots the bullet in the station and causes everybody to freak out. Okay, he would have told people he was going to do it. He, he would have been totally like, fire in the hole! He totally would have told people. It is nice to see the station house on full alert, though. It is the like, second time he all shot these, off a gun in the station in four episodes. The first time he did it in his office in yeah. the barrel. But you at least see all these layabouts in uniforms, like, get up and, like, take action. Yeah. So, speaking of Doyle's speech, they did a beautiful job of the sign yes, for the event. They did. It's gorgeous. We though, have the, we'll have the sign in the show notes and in the reel this week. Though, in terms of a like signage, a lot of the text is really, really small. I don't understand that quite. Yeah. It it made me think of all of the book covers of all of my favorite Sherlock spinoffs. Oh yes. So There's you, so you, many. You, you've read quite a few Sherlock spinoffs. Oh, many, many, many. I, I actually say I would have to admit that I like spinoffs of Sherlock Holmes better than I like the actual Doyle so stories. So when did you read the Doyle stories? I mean, throughout my life. I think probably first time high school for me, I read them all. I probably read at least one of them earlier than that. Yeah. But I didn't just sit down and just like pour through them all. Because I was like into Encyclopedia Brown and that's a natural kind of. I think probably I read an actual Doyle story after I saw Jeremy Brett play Sherlock Holmes on TV. And when was that? Uh, Middle school, maybe. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, those are really clever. I should go and read some of those. Mm, Definitely. There are more spinoffs of Sherlock Holmes that. I mean, and some, do you know one reason why it's in public domain? Because none of Doyle's children had children. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I doesn't he have nieces or nephews now who control the estate though? They but do. the stories are not part of the estate. But they're no direct descendants of Doyle. Yeah. Alive. Yeah. I have so many favorites. Okay. Can I tell you about yes. a few of them? Yes. And we're going to put links to all of these in the show notes. Absolutely. I highly recommend every single one of these, okay? (laughs) There's one of them that we both love intensely. So these are all non-TV or non-movies that are spinoffs of Sherlock Holmes. So they're like different versions of him as a character, or they take another, they take a smaller character from the stories and make them bigger. Like Anthony Horowitz, who wrote um, screenplays for Midsummer, wrote a book called The House of Silk. And the second one is called Moriarty. And they're both super good. There's also another book that focuses on Moriarty. So Anthony Horowitz focuses on Moriarty and his. Yeah. And they're period and accurate, and but, but really, really good. If you, if you like Anthony Horowitz, but then there are all these like other versions, other interpretations, or they put Sherlock Holmes in a different world. Like there's a series called the Cthulhu case books that are Sherlock Holmes in, in a world where Cthulhu is real. Yes. In London. So it's HP Lovecraft crossover with. Yes. Doyle. They're by James Lovegrove. Okay. And they're really good. They're scary. They're they're scary. But Holmes is Holmes, right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the basketball player. He is a well-known writer and lover of Sherlock Holmes. He's a huge fan. And he and another author named Anna Waterhouse have written a series of books. And again, they're very accurate 
to the originals. If you if you like the Doyle stories, you'll like them. But then there are the some just wacky ones. Like there's a series called Homes on the Range, whereas Holmes is in America at oh. the time. They're written by um, Steve Hawkinsmith. They're very funny, but very clever. So like out in the old West and stuff. There's a young Sherlock Holmes series that he comes to America. Yeah. Too. These are more like Sherlock Holmes meets wild, wild West. Yes. The TV show that like, had all the- so it has like steampunky. Yes. Stuff. Very steampunky, so. but Western and really funny. Cool. There's a series by Colleen Gleason that is Stoker and Holmes. So it's, I think, the daughter of Bram Stoker. Her name is Evelyn Stoker. And a character named Mina Holmes. Okay. Who is like supposed to be Sherlock Holmes's niece or something. Okay. And they solve crimes together. Oh, that'd be fun. But my very, 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 very favorite. It is the best offshoot home series i've read too. is a series called warlock homes by gs denning that is some of the funniest writing i've ever read they are hilarious so warlock homes is a warlock yeah but he's sherlock holmes so kind he, of <laughs> so he's a detective but he, he's also an idiot <laughs> he's also like an evil magician Yep. And an idiot. Yes, he's very stupid. But they are hilarious. And what G.S. Denning did was he took the original stories and then put them through the filter of Warlock Holmes, right? So you get the Hound of the Baskervilles you, and you, you get a study in Scarlet and all yeah. those. So if you know the original stories and you read the Warlock Holmes book, you, you know what's supposed to happen. So what actually what happens in the books is so much funnier because yep. you understand what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so many times. And there's I've, a vampire and Frankenstein's monster. Oh and my, it's everything. Just so good. Caveman. They're yep. so fun. There's a caveman on a bicycle. Yep. It's so funny. So if you, if you like Holmes at all and you like, Funny, you've got to read Warlock Holmes. I listened to them on audiobooks, yeah. Uh, and the narrator is just incredible. I yeah. think I've listened to all of them. I think there's five right now. I think so. I think I've listened to all of them at least three times. Yeah, they're that good. They are fantastic. The last seance with Miss Pencil, yes. And we find out who the killer actually is because they set him up, right? Yeah. They they set up Conrad Hunt. And to- what I like is Miss Pencil totally agrees with this. Yeah. She totally goes along with this and does a good job of acting here. And then Brackenreed shows up in a uniform. What I don't like about this is that, well, first of all, they play on Hunt's emotions about his son. Yep. Which I think is kind of cruel. Now, granted, he's killed two people. And they don't beat him. (laughs) They don't beat him or anything. But it seems kind of, and then there's a seance and he admits it and it's done. Yes, it is. Let's tie up loose ends. See now over. Yeah. Right. It seems like kind of a rushed conclusion. It makes sense that they would do it and that it works. Yeah. But it just, it just seems kind of rushed. I can see why they brought back Doyle too. Yeah. There's so much of Doyle that they didn't touch on here that I'm sure they wanted to. Yeah. And Brackenreed shows up in his full police uniform. Like, like they're a SWAT team to capture one guy at a seance. I don't really If they think he's that dangerous that they got to put on their little hats, shouldn't they be protecting Miss Pencil a little bit better? I would think so. (laughs) Hunt killed Ida because Ida was going to expose Miss Pencil. Yes. And Hunt believes in Miss Pencil because she's his only connection to his dead son. I think Miss Pencil thinks she's a real psychic, but she needs some help. Yes, I do. I, I agree with you. I think she thinks that other people need to be bamboozled a little bit. They they need a little bright yeah. and shiny. And so she provides that, but she thinks she can actually connect with people. Yes. Which I think she's fooling herself, but that's another story. Oh, um, we'll get to other stories with her. Yeah. Hunt admits it, right? So he killed... Ida, because she was going to out Miss Pencil, and that would have cut off his connection to his son. And he says he kills Waters just to confuse people. Yeah, to throw him off the scent. That's a horrible thing to do. Yeah, to frame a person by killing them. Not even that. Like Like he could have framed him and left him alive. Just to kill somebody just to help you get away with your murder. Yeah. Not because you have any reason. No. I mean, there's no reason. Yeah. Really. It's a little tie up loose ends here. And speaking of tying up loose ends, Murdoch gets the brush off from beyond the grave. (laughs) Miss Pencil knows that Murdoch needs to move on. Yes. 
She is providing the self-help part of psychics here. Yes. One of my favorite parts of this whole episode, though, is how many times Julia makes a joke that Murdoch doesn't laugh at. (laughs) He doesn't laugh at any of her jokes. It's constant. And I love that she just keeps doing it because it amuses her. She's funny in this episode. Like, she needs to laugh while she's got her hand elbow deep in (laughs) somebody's thorax or whatever. When she takes the telephonic tuner or whatever it's called, she barely wipes the blood off her hands before she picks it up. She's like, oh, it's so nice. Thank you very much, William. I got blood on it. Sorry. Got a spongy bit on the end of the probe. Did you see that? Like, what's that going to suck up when you use it? Anyway. Yeah. The whole episode, she's telling jokes and he's just like looking at her. Yep. So. And he rides off into the moonlight on his bicycle. And almost runs into the T-bones a carriage in the dark. Almost T-bones a carriage. Like, turn on your light, dude. That's what it's for. Now, I did some research while we were talking. A solo cyclist, a very famous Sherlock Holmes story, Mm -hmm. is after meeting Murdoch. So do you think Doyle was influenced by Murdoch on the bicycle to ride the solo cyclist? So Mark and I talked about this. We were joking around about how Murdoch might have influenced Doyle. And like when Sherlock Holmes comes back after Reichenbach, yes. is he a little bit different? I've he... moved to Canada and now I'm in Toronto as a detective. Yeah, like <laughs> I threw myself off the falls because I was tired of all these people and then ran to Canada. And now my name is Billiam Murdoch. <laughs> and I'm a detective. Yes. In Ottawa. Yes. <laughs> and I ride a bike. So he did the bicycle. He wrote the bicycle story after this. After Murdoch. So maybe it was because he met Murdoch. Maybe it was because he got inspired because he probably never saw anybody on a bicycle before that. No, no, not a one. <laughs> Best corpse. Neither of them are all that impressive, but I got to give it to Ida because Julia sticks her arm into her. <laughs> I don't know what that prop is, but they do two good things. That prop looks like a real body because clearly they didn't stick their hands in the actress. And second of all, they don't go for the easy (laughs) noise, right? They do do sound effects like that later. I said do do. You said do do. Yeah. (laughs) They do sound effects like that. I think that is the actress. Oh, you think it is? Yeah, she's played by Carrie Ann Doherty. I think that is the actress laying on that table and they've put put an appliance over her. Yeah. And that's what Julia's sticking your hands into. So she's probably sort of feeling her up. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> through that appliance. Yes. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just going to grip your ribs here a little bit and pull this pig liver out. Because <laughs> that prop is absolutely believable. That organ yeah. that she pulls out is some kind of organ. Crabtree. Oh, my God. <laughs> After um, the credits. Uh, well, Doyle comes back later. Is the Toronto Paranormal Society going to survive I this? I don't think so. I they think. have hundreds of members, Mark. No, I don't. Well, I think they're going to show up and go, what are our dues money going <laughs> towards? Yes. You're philandering with the dead lady? No, the founder's dead now. So Yeah. And Conrad's not going to be a member anymore. No. Maybe Lizgar will take it over. And Miss Pencil yeah, appears in Adventures to Come? Yeah. I don't think she is Clash, uh, Cletus the Slackjawed. Yokel, though. No, I don't think so. I think Lizgar goes on to a def- d- another job. Yeah, I think so. Because he kind of messed it up. <laughs> he didn't hide in the in the cabinet well enough. He should have been dressed as an old lady back there. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm just the parlor maid. <laughs> Waiting in here until I can be useful. Are you ready for a horrible movie? Oh, I'm ready. I've got one truly horrible movie okay. for you horrible movie that I'm going to bet you haven't seen. Okay. It's from 1987. Okay. And Dan Lett, who plays Conrad Hunt, the killer, is in it. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Here's the description. Detective Jim Bishop and Dr. Rachel Carson must find a way to stop a giant monstrous insect that's eating people in her quarantined hospital before it procreates and spreads a deadly deadly infection it's carrying. When did, when did this come out? 1987. Let me give you some taglines, because there's more than one. Okay. They breed, they hatch, they kill. Maybe it's just a phase they're going through. (laughs) There's a bad bug going around. The third one, though, is my my favorite. 700 babies were born at the county hospital last night. Not one of them is human. (laughs) 
Those are all fantastic. And there was kind of a run of these in the late 80s, spawned mm-hmm. by, I would say, Species. And there's a, another movie by Del Toro. But these are actual big bugs. These like are actual big, big bugs. bugs. There's a lot of larvae in this movie. I don't think I've ever seen this movie. It's called Blue Monkey. What? Yeah. It's called Blue Monkey. Why is it called Blue Monkey? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's called Blue Monkey. Later re-releases on VHS in other countries called it Invasion of the Body Suckers. (laughs) It didn't do any better, but it's called Blue Monkey and it's about bugs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there's just a phase they're going through. Maybe. That's one for me. That is one for you. Point for me. Point for you. Okay. What's our next episode? Our next episode is Murdoch season one, episode five. Till Death Do Us Part. I love this episode. You say that every time. Why I do know. You, what is it? Why uh, do you love it? It's the episode where they find the groom killed at the church. Oh, that's very midsummery. Yes. For somebody to die at their wedding. Yes. It's very <laughs> midsummery. It's very dangerous to get married yep. in any of these shows. Yeah, any of these shows. Just go elope and get it over with. Don't tell anybody. Yep. And you might live. And this is like like spot on the nose dealing with things with Murdoch and the church and all sorts of things. Yes. Yes. There's yep. a lot of good themes there. All right. You can find Mystery Maniacs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email. Reddit. Yes, we also have a Reddit subreddit for both Miss. Uh, I run the one for Midsummer, Midsummer. but we have a Mystery Maniacs Mystery subreddit. Maniacs. Go join it; it's fun. Go join it. There's a bunch of maniacs on there. If you like us on YouTube, hit the bell and subscribe mm. and do all that good stuff. This episode goes out on the 13th of March, and we will be returning on the 20th of March next week. Next week with Death Do Us Part, Episode Five of Murdoch. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Edit this out. Where does Cletus the Slackjaw Yokel come from? Simpsons. Are you sure? Yes. That is the original source of Cletus it. the Slackjaw Yokel. But yep. you're absolutely sure. Absolutely it's sure. It's not a deliverance reference nope. or something like that. I can look it up. Look it up. Just make me feel better. I meant to ask you that earlier and I forgot.